from the book of Genesis. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was banished. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, or get you behind me, Satan. <laughs> worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Dramatic reading. <laughs> Dramatic readings for whoever wants to read scripture in the future. Please do. Hello, I'm Tim. Welcome. As Virginia said, you're welcome here no matter who you sleep with. It's on our website. Too. I know, I know. Uh, though for Lent, we shall all abstain from such things, I'm sure. Uh, let's, uh, let's get going with a question. What, is, what would you say is a temptation in your life? All right. We'll, of course, spend some time thinking about what actually is a temptation and so forth. But just in a fun way, let's kind of get some initial answers on the table. What kinds of things would you say tempt you? Sugar. Sorry, what? Sugar. Sugar. Chocolate. Chocolate. Fried food. What did you say about politics? Arguing about politics. You're tempted by that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
fried foods. Materialism. Materialism, yeah. yeah. Pandering. Pandering is a temptation for sure. Anyone else want to admit anything? Hey, it's still a temptation if you always get into it. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. We'll get to that later, I guess. What were you thinking about? I'm on social media, also gossiping. Yes. Lost. Yeah. Anybody have like a weird one? Like, fetish? <laughs> <laughs> a little sermon about kinks today. Buying, buying puzzles. Not fetish, but like popping pimples. Oh god. Uh... <laughs> that is a true temptation. It's bad for your. Yeah. It's bad for you. I actually bought this kit. That anyway, that's won't get that. <laughs> So I, I thought about this question for myself, and initially uh, I was like, oh, there, there are so many things in my life that I'm tempted, right? Like a friend I once lived with, he dubbed me a man of many vices. <laughs> and so I saw myself like, yes, I'm a man of many temptations. <clears throat> you know, it's sort of tormented constantly. Like, there's a devil on my shoulder telling me to do this thing or whatever. But as I thought about it, actually, this is not really true. I don't, I don't find a lot of this sort of warring inside of myself, um, like some sort of constant battle raging. I don't really have that feeling very often. The main thing I could think of uh, that actually feels like a massive temptation in my life is sleep. Yeah. Uh, so my whole life has been a fight to wake up. I've missed out on so many things. I've gotten in so much trouble simply because I could not get up for stuff, right? That sweet siren song, better than any other one. It, I love it so much, right? And, uh, Half my childhood memories are of, of being yelled at to, to wake up by my parents. I've slept through entire quarters worth of classes. Honestly, showed up at a final, it's like, you're in this class, you know. Uh, my church internship, which Anissa is doing now, I slept through so many important meetings. I, had a, I was sat down and chewed out for sleeping too much. Um, I'm just thankful that that hasn't occurred here yet. Uh, sleep, this temptation of sleep has, has ruled my life, right? And, I hope uh, none of these temptations you've all mentioned today are as strong as mine is with sleep. Uh, we'll come back a little bit more to the specifics of temptations, but as we begin this season of Lent, um, it is tradition, right, that most churches look at the two passages we read today or heard today, right? These are two of the more famous stories in the Bible. We could dissect them uh, ad nauseum, but they kick off this Lenten season for a reason, right, which is you might have guessed, these are two stories that are fundamentally about temptation. For those of, those of us who are not familiar with uh, the season of Lent, fear not. It just is simply this period before Easter, roughly 40 days, that have traditionally been used throughout Christian history as a time for us to think about our mortality and sinfulness um, through prayer, repentance, self-denial. Right, The self-denial aspect is, of course, the most famous Right? Even those of us who didn't grow up observing Lent like myself, we, we probably knew at least that uh, McDonald's had a sale on filet fish on Fridays uh, because of some sort of religious thing out there. Hopefully that wasn't just me. But people often, right, they give up meat, alcohol, caffeine, 
Um, these days, very modern millennial, you, you might see this uh, fasting from social media, ironically declared on social media. <laughs> right. But whatever your practice may be, or even with no set practice, the season of Lent is supposed to be a pretty somber time, right? Churches all around the world right now have covered their crosses. We don't really have any of that sort of stuff. But if we did, we would cover it up, right? If you had statues, they would cover it up. Some churches even refrained from playing the organ in church during Lenten season, which is a huge deal if you grew up in an organ church. I did not, but I hear it's a big deal, right? And so we are asked during this season to think about some really difficult things. Death, dying, our personal failures, our collective failures, we are asked to reflect on this idea of sin, right? a word that you know, I think has been so twisted by history and the church that it now often leaves us more confused and sometimes revolted than really honest and contrived. But no matter what, we can't seem to get away from it, right? Sin is a fundamental concept to Christianity. And I actually believe a really useful one if we're able to see it with some fresh perspective, with some new eyes, right? I think our larger collective discourse uh, would benefit greatly if we could find some truth in the power, in the idea of sin. The human relationship to sin is so foundational, right? The Bible starts with it here, with this story of Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden. And also the ministry of Jesus begins with this temptation in the desert as well. One story, the humans give in to the temptation. The other one, it is resisted. In one story, we get a, an idea of why things in this world might be the way they are. And in the other, we see how we might change things in this world. So let's uh, think about this in a big picture way. The story of Adam and Eve in the garden is, in, I would say, a mythological tale, right? And in that way, it's neither true nor false in some conventional sense. It really is a story that helps us understand who we are, right? And this paradise of the garden is a world that never actually existed. It sort of represents a kind of pre-existence in which the order of all creation was in perfect harmony with itself, with one another, with God. Um, but part of that harmony, that perfection, is also this thing we call freedom and possibility, right? Without freedom, paradise becomes like a prison, right? Without uh, freedom, paradise becomes a prison. It's like waking up in some scary Black Mirror episode or something where, you know, you, everything seems really chill for the first 10 minutes until you realize something is horribly wrong and then, you know, anyway. But it's like that kind of weird feeling, right? And the theologian Paul Tillich once wrote that possibility itself is temptation. Possibility itself is temptation. Temptation is a condition of our freedom. One doesn't exist without the other. In that mythological story of how the world came to be fallen, those human beings were tempted with something very specific, not uh, chocolate or social media or anything like this. It is the very ability to be like God. Right? If you remember five minutes ago in that story, this is what uh, the serpent says, to possess that power to be like God. Right? And this is a temptation that I think reverberates through all of history and every person like a piece of fruit dangling in front of us. Christ, too, faces this temptation, right? Three tests, three temptations given to use this 
godlike power. Resistance isn't easy, not even for Jesus, not even for Christ. It's not actually a given, I would say, that he would overcome. One writer describes Christ's experience in the desert like this. Christ is seated in a rocky, arid landscape, seated in the dust from which we came, Christ is battling. His battle is intensely psychological. As the devil tempts him with thoughts of worldly satisfaction, power, and an easy way out, he recalls the original temptation that one Adam and Eve could not resist. This time around, Christ knows what is at stake. The gravity of the difference between paradise gained or lost is visible on his face. I, too, know this intense psychological battle every time I try to get out of bed. It's that severe. So what exactly is the nature of our temptation, right? In, this, uh, in the story of Christianity, in the stories you read today, like I said, it is the thing which tugs on our freedom. Right? That which comes from the power and possibility, possibility we all have, which I think is something we uh, easily forget or deny. Like that, yes, you, right? You and me, we have immense power and possibility. Right? More than we realize often. Someone I talk to in my life about my various trials and tribulations often says to me, you know you have much more power to change things than you realize. And even after I hear that time and time again, I'm always like, no, I don't think so. That's not true, right? But it is true, right? We need to affirm this truth because from that innate power and possibility, I think there comes a kind of anxiety about what to do with it. We human beings, we possess freedom, but it's an anxious sort of freedom, an anxiety in the choice to exist alongside God and all of creation as was in that story in the, in the garden, or to try to become like God, exploiting things for our own power and our own pleasure. Right? That exploitation, that is the reality of sin. It can sound all abstract, right? But it's plain everywhere. I think first and foremost about climate change. Uh, such a scary example of this temptation to be like gods uh, who exploit our planet for power and pleasure. Right? That is sin. Think of the way so many of our systems are set up to exploit workers, minorities, of all kinds, the poor, right? the faceless others around the world for power, and pleasure. That is sin. And even as we fight these things, we participate in them as well all the time. Right? How anxious is our freedom and how real is this temptation when we know that uh, many of the simple things we do every day, the things we buy, the things that uh, we use for our own pleasure contribute to these things, right? And if we still wish to deny uh, the real power and possibility we possess, we only have to look at the raw destruction that one individual can bring to bear. Right? To murder in mass, in a shooting, to take the lives of others, to play God in that way. Right? That is sin. Sin is not this puritanical you know, bullshit about our own individual behaviors in, this, in the ways that uh, certain people have set up laws or whatever. It's not about the demonization of our desires as a whole. Right? It's rather desire that has given into a certain kind 
of temptation. Sin is the totality of a world that has given in to temptation, right? It is inescapable. It's all around us. And in that way, I would say there is actually some liberation there, right? Not shame, if we accept this. It's everywhere, right? And with liberation comes also the ability to resist. I wrote this thing on here. I'm trying to decide if I want to say it or not. Um, I'll skip it for today. During Lent, we are asked to sit in the desert like Christ, to wrestle, battle as we are tempted. But the devil, I mean, sorry, the desert is not a strange place that we travel to, right? The thing I love so much about Lent, it's not that it's this otherworldly weird thing, but that it asks us to open ourselves up to the very things that are around us all the time, things that we are so good at ignoring. That's why it's so important, right? How can we resist if we don't recognize temptation in the first place? Like with climate change, the science only describes the symptoms of a real illness. Right? Without recognizing a sinful stance towards the natural world, data can only go so far in changing the choices that we actually make. What better choices could we make collectively if we understood things through this lens? And how tragic is the irony of those, you know, many so-called Christians who believe the literal truth of these stories even and use the language of sin so comfortably every day but cannot see the exploitation of our planet as an extension of paradise lost. Right? How much tragedy comes to bear because we also lose sight of our power and the temptation that comes with it. If possibility itself is temptation, then we live in a, in a state of constant temptation, right? But the devil doesn't really scream in our ears. And the serpent's words, as we heard, are often reasonable and full of partial truth. So during Lent, right, uh, through fasting, self-denial, spiritual practice, I think the point is kind of that this sense of temptation becomes heightened for us. We are made more aware of it. Right? We intentionally develop a re different relationship with things that are just floating around us all the time. Tillich again, he says, from the very beginning of life, our desire pushes ahead and possibilities appear. These possibilities become temptation if a prohibition, as in the paradise story, forces on it, forces on, forces it into deliberation and decision. It is the ultimate prohibition, the recognition of our limitations, right? Though we are powerful, we are not gods, right? From dust you came and to dust you shall return. This prohibition, this is what Lent makes clear to us. Once blind to it, we should see it, right? Once <coughs> deaf to the devil's temptations, we now hear them. I apologize a little bit because I feel like I've been uh, preaching real bummer sermons for all of 2020. <laughs> It's been a rough start to the year, um, surely for me, and I'm sure for a lot of you, my mind has been in a, in a rough place. But it's also Lent, so I hope that's okay. We'll get to all the joy and blooming flowers and crap like that after Easter. <laughs> <laughs> but today we sit with this, right? We sit with this idea of temptation, of sin, 
and how to resist it, right? I leave you with this. While our Lenten practices and prayers and reflections, they often may happen with, with us or for us in solitude, we ultimately go through this stuff together. Because church and community is not a paradise, though we may wish it to be. All of us who've ever taken that step to actually be together with others know that it is far from the Garden of Eden, right? We collectively come together, not in that garden, but actually in the desert. The desert in which you heard Christ's, uh, Christ's story as well. Community is a place where we help each other recognize and overcome temptation. The temptation of cell phones and... <laughs> During my key line... <laughs> it's, okay, yeah, it's good. Let me start that over real quick. Community is a place, we meet in the desert in community, and community is a place where we help each other recognize and overcome temptation. In the liberation that leads to true resistance, this is what we do collectively for one another, together. May we continue this work, uh, not just through Lent, though of course, during this season, I urge all of us to take it to heart as much as possible. But may we continue this work um, as long as we choose to be with one another. Amen.